denverreporter.com. And from listener donations at wjffradio.org. This is Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. We're getting ready for the local edition coming right up. Taking a look at the weather quickly, though, going to be down to 27 tonight for the overnight low, and uh, showers are likely on the early end. Showers are clear out, still be partly cloudy. Overnight low down to 27. Windy tomorrow, cloudy in the afternoon and morning. Few flurries or snow showers are possible. No sign of accumulation. And uh, tomorrow night, few clouds from time to time. Much colder overnight low down near 11. Move Sullivan. Sullivan County's free bus system helps people get around. Whether they're going to work on time Monday through Friday, visiting doctors in Monticello, Liberty, Rock Hill, and Harris, or heading to class at SUNY Sullivan. Move Sullivan helps people shop in downtown Wurtsboro or Kanayunga Lake, or takes them to the Coach USA bus station so they can go even farther. Info at movesullivan.com or 845-434-4102. Move Sullivan, connecting our communities. Paid for by Sullivan County Government. This week in This American Life, when David Sedaris' cat died, his family helped him deal with the loss. My mother sent a consoling letter along with a check to cover the cost of the cremation. In the left-hand corner, under the heading marked Memo, she'd written, Pet Burning. When animals attack our hearts, Pet Stories, it's this week. Saturday at 6 on Radio Catskill. Everybody who goes to Egypt, look at the monuments, and you are in awe of the monuments. These irrepressible figures, enigmatic figures, and you just sort of wonder, how could it be? What does it mean? So I had to start learning what it is I was looking at, because I did not know. I knew it was important. This is 50 years of work. Chester Higgins, photographer, Sacred Nile. The Janice Adams Show, Saturday at noon. Listen local. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolt. Coming up, we'll hear how students out at SUNY Binghamton are reacting to the major earthquake in Turkey and what they're doing to help. And on the eve of the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we are going to uh, check in a year later, Sullivan County late Sullivan County legislator Nadia Raj on Ukrainian American on her take one year after the invasion. That's coming up the second half of the program. But first, we're continuing our ongoing series. You know, every week we check in with Wayne County. Uh, but right now we're in the middle of a series of interviews because after the property reassessment in Wayne County last year, folks there showing some growing interest in understanding how taxes are being used to benefit the community. And this is a series that the County of Wayne is setting up these series of interviews to talk about just that, how the county's investments impact residents' lives. And today's installment, we are joined live on the phone by District Attorney A.G. Howell 
who will discuss the role played by the civil and criminal justice system. Welcome to the program, A.G. Howell. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me tonight. It's, it's my pleasure to join you. Does um So I guess uh, on a lighter note, so if, do people ever get confused that like you're you're the DA, but your initials are AG. It, it has come up every now and then, but but not too much. Good. Um, that that means yeah, it, folks it, out there are, are swifter than I am. That's that, and that's a good sign. <laughs> it's a very good sign. Oh, that's that's not true. You're swift. <laughs> so, um, and, and more seriously though, do you find it uh, difficult to? you know, get people to take an interest in the justice system? Like, for instance, like, if people aren't actively involved with one side or other of law enforcement, how do you explain to them the importance of the justice system? I'm sorry, you, you broke up there at the end of your question. Or we're saying, like, if somebody's not actively involved or in breaking the law or enforcing the law, what ways are they impacted by the justice system? Oh, okay. Uh well, um, <clears throat> it, it's easy to say that in one way or another, if you're not involved in the justice system, you're definitely been um, had some impact on your life by a friend, a family member. Either they've been involved with the criminal justice system as a defendant, um, or they could be a victim of a crime, or even just a witness of a crime. As as the DA. Uh, I'm the chief law enforcement officer for the county, and we investigate and prosecute criminal offenses. We have um, four other ADAs. We have five detectives. We have six staff. And we all deal with uh, everyone in our county in one way or another, either as a defendant, a family member who's concerned about a defendant or a victim, um, the victims themselves, witnesses. Um, <clears throat> so everyone's in involved in the criminal justice system, I think one way or another. Right. And that, that totally makes sense. So now, uh, I guess in your role as district attorney, could, could you talk about like how long you've been district attorney, what you were doing before that? Sure. <clears throat> I was elected in, uh, 2019. So I, uh, have been DA for three years. Prior to that, I was an assistant district attorney for four years, and prior to that, I was a public defender uh, for 15 years. Actually, I think it was almost, no, it was about 15 years. It was, it was quite a long time. Um, I enjoyed each role helping out the county, um, and that's part of where taxpayers' money comes from, is uh, paying for those court-appointed attorneys, paying for the assistant district attorneys. Um, also, the detectives that we have, we do have one part-time detective who is paid by a grant called the STOP Grant, which involves domestic violence uh, investigations and prosecutions. <clears throat> we have a victim witness coordinator who is also paid by a, a grant but does also receive some county funds for her role. She is uh, our liaison with victims and witnesses uh, to help guide them through the process a lot of times somebody hasn't been involved in the criminal justice system at all. Um, so she helps guide them with knowing the process, uh, directing them to what services are available, and to just uh, let them know of scheduled court dates. Mm -hmm. So so since you've been doing this, what, what are some of the most co common challenges that you see 
uh, in the criminal justice system today, and specifically, you know, in your area? Here in Wayne County, it's really across the state. I just came back from the midwinter meeting of the DA conference, and um, one of the general uh, challenges that district attorneys face is uh, we represent the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So we represent the justice system, and that is to seek fair uh, treatment for everyone across the board. If you're a defendant, if you're a victim, if you're a witness, if you're someone in serving uh, on a jury. Um, so we have to balance that. And sometimes it's a tough balance because um, some defendants uh, are not criminals. They're they maybe made some bad choices or have addiction issues. Some defendants are quote unquote criminals and just do bad things. <clears throat> but you have to balance all of that with um, what's best for the Commonwealth, what's best for our, our county, what's best for um, society in general or the victims. So that's, that's a big challenge that I face every day. And another challenge that, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear about is, is drug addiction. Um, <clears throat> it, there's still opioid addiction. There's methamphetamine running rampant. Um, fentanyl is being mixed with everything and people are dying. Um, and they're not even planning on, on, on dying. They're thinking they might be taking, uh, maybe just heroin because they're addicted, but, um, and it's just a horrible, that is still going on and it's always evolving, unfortunately. Um, and we're, we're trying to fight that every day to not only fight the crime of, of dealing it and possessing it, but also trying to help people stay alive. Yeah, you know, we we talked last week as part of this series. We were we were checking in with the with the correctional facility and um I, I would say it was surprising. It wasn't really surprising, but the, it was a reality that a lot of that conversation revolved around, uh, uh, you know, drug issues and uh, drug and mental health being the next one. Do you find like like that mental health uh, component of it playing into your side of work as well? Yes, I'm glad you you pointed that out. It is a a very difficult uh, situation when. You're dealing with someone with mental health issues as well. And unfortunately, usually that comes with drug issues as well. And so there's a dual diagnosis there that you have to deal with, um, not only looking at evaluating a, a case, but also have to remember the, the law enforcement that are on the ground. They have to deal with it in real time of is this is someone that they're dealing with uh, having a, a issue due to drug addiction or is it a mental health issue or is it both and and what's the best way to try and help them yeah um so and you know through all this as you you talk about the different variables that you have to balance and then that underscores uh it's it's a, it's the justice system 
And we know too often that that it may not appear to everyone to be as just as they can. But when I hear you talking like this, that balance between different variables that need to be taken into account, that's that's one of the ways to ensure that justice is done by having an awareness of, of situations and needs and how best to meet them for the benefit of the community. That is, that is absolutely right, and that's um, how we try to work in the DA's office here in, in Wayne County. And I, I think that's a prevalent view across the state as well. Is um, It's the age-old saying, justice is blind, and uh, we have to take our laws that are um, set by the legislature and um, treat everyone fairly and apply the laws justly and fairly across the board, no matter what your race is or color or creed or religion. Um, that, that is not a factor for if someone is, is breaking the law or if, or if they need help. Um, it's, they're just a person, and, and I've always said, treat people how you want to be treated, and I think that can go a long way. Now, do you, uh, I mean, do you see the nature of, of justice as it's carried out at the county level? Um, is it changing to be more inclusive and to look at more, like, for instance, in the drug uh, addiction category, people talk more now about harm reduction. And that, that type of approach can be applied elsewhere, a more holistic approach to the community's yeah. needs. Are you seeing that on the ground, that, that those changes are getting incorporated? Yes, we are. Um, in, in our county, we have uh, a small diversionary program at the magistrate level for younger offenders. We have our drug treatment court, which takes a holistic view of participants, um, <clears throat> not only looking at their addiction, but also mental health or um, uh, education, maybe furthering their education. And... Um, and those programs are also getting more involved. I know you spoke with Amy last week in the prison about treatment programs as well are uh, getting more holistic. And um, the Attorney General's office has started a program that's spreading throughout the state called uh, LETI, the Law Enforcement Training Initiative, which is, again, treating individuals that are involved with the criminal justice system to try and direct them more towards help rather than um, just punishment. There still has to be that balance at times of consequences and accountability, but also rehabilitation. So it, there is a lot of effort throughout the state and our county to, to take a holistic approach to try and help the defendant, their families, their friends, because it involves everybody. And speaking of involving everybody, I mean, you, you've spoken, and, and again, part of the series is just, uh, you know, just explaining some of the nuts and bolts of how different aspects of government work at the local level. Uh, along those lines, uh, what are some of the people, individuals as well as departments, entities that cooperate to carry out the business of the court? I know you've mentioned some of them already, but can we, can we give a picture of what are the different entities that you're working with? Yeah, I can give you a, a rundown of that. Um, there's the Public Defender's Office. Um, county taxes help pay for county uh, for representation for those that can't afford it. Um, there's the Sheriff's Department. 
Um, there's the Drug and Alcohol Commission. There's the Prothonotary Office. Um, all our paperwork goes through the Prothonotary Office. There's children and youth um, that helps families and, and children, uh, but also sometimes, unfortunately, there might have there might be allegations of, of crimes. There's the victim services. There's the probation department that supervises uh, defendants um, to try and help them get their lives back on track. So it, it almost seems like every, if not every, but most departments in Wayne County touch the justice system one way or another. And uh, that's why it's, it's so good to have um, leaders in each of those departments that are looking to better Wayne County, keep it a, a great and safe place to live and to work together. All right. Well, on that note, we are going to have to get going. Uh, is there anything else you want folks to know before we do? Um, just if you ever need any help, don't hesitate to call the district attorney's office or your local law enforcement uh, police departments or the Pennsylvania State Police. Um, we have uh, great individuals in all those departments who are looking to help. And I uh, just wish everybody a good evening and God bless everybody. It's Wayne County in Focus. We've been talking the justice system in Wayne County with A.G. Howell, District Attorney. Uh, Mr. Howell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, too, and have a great night. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Binghamton University is home to a small community of Turkish students and professors. Some lost loved ones in the earthquake uh, that just happened a couple weeks ago. And as the world is starting to move on, they say that it's been painful to witness the disaster from so far away. Binghamton University is home to a small community of Turkish students and professors. Some lost family and friends in the major earthquake that hit parts of Turkey and Syria early this month. And as the rest of the world begins to move on, students say it's been painful to witness the devastation from so far away. About a dozen international students from Turkey are gathered around a table in the student union. It's draped with a Turkish flag, and on it there's a spread of traditional snacks and baked goods. It's a traditional Turkish burek. The students are holding a fundraiser to support relief efforts after the earthquake. Under the table, there's also a pile of other donations. Baby diapers, also clothes. Even a tent. Sophomore Zainab Tasuna described the moment she learned about the earthquake. My uh, housemates were watching TV, and when I saw the TV, I knew immediately that um, the consequences of that would be terrible. Tasuna's family lives in a part of Turkey that was not affected by the disaster. But she says it's been difficult to go to class like usual when a world away, her country has ground to a halt. There was a period of grace in our country that everything stopped, but here for us, it, it hasn't stopped. Like, here, nothing stops. But even so, she says the disaster brought people here together. Turkish professors shared recipes and offered up their kitchen to bake pastries for the bake sale. And when one student found out he lost his father, classmates helped him get a ride to the airport in New York City. Tasuner says it's a small way to help from afar. But after graduation, she says she'll go back home to help in person. 
Megan Zarez, WSKG News. Thank you to Megan and also New York State Public Radio. This is a local edition and here on the eve of the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Radio Catskills' Patricio Rabayo sat down with Sullivan County Legislature Nadia Riza on Ukrainian uh, and a Ukrainian American that Patricio spoke with last year around this time. In this conversation, they reflect on the events of the past year. And uh, Patricio starts off by asking Nadia Riza what her thoughts are on the current state of the war a year into it. Uh, it's hard to fathom that it's been a full year of this unwanted, unprovoked aggression, military aggression against Ukraine. It's an invasion where this is not a war. This is a genocide against the Ukrainian people. There's rape. There's murder. There's killing. There's torture. There's abductions of people into Russia. Uh, into their filtration camps. So it's really hard to, to believe that a full year has gone and we're still at that point of not ending it. I, I'm grateful for the American people and their support for President Biden uh, and his um, unwavering support for Ukraine because Ukraine is fighting a world war for world democracy. If Ukraine fails, there are other European countries that are in jeopardy from this Russian aggression. Putin will not stop with Ukraine. So all of our efforts have to go into stopping Putin. Now there's a possibility of China um, coming in and helping Russia. The biggest concern besides um, all of this torture and rape and murder of civilians and destruction of infrastructure um, again, who's going to rebuild all of that, and is it rebuildable? But the biggest concern now is the genocide against the children of Ukraine. We don't have specific or, or hard numbers, but it appears that there's over 15,000, from what they, they can assess, children that have been kidnapped, kidnapped or deported to Russia. As of January 11th of this year, 454 have been killed. There's about 894 that have been injured. Four and a half million children have been traumatized. How is this affecting the future of Ukraine? People are traumatized. Children, our future is traumatized. And all of these children that have been kidnapped, where are they? We understand that they're being brainwashed into um, getting them of, of some age so they can be put back into Ukraine and fight against other Ukrainians. This is unfathomable. I, I just don't understand how this person named Putin can exist and go on to create such turmoil in the world. So this is where we are after a full year. Right. And it has been a full year. The last we spoke, you mentioned your family and friends. How are they and how are your your connections in the Ukraine? Yes. Yes. So in that one year, we have had fundraisers. Um, we have provided monetary help to individuals who are um, helping children that have escaped from these war-torn areas, uh, orphans who've lost their parents, others we've helped uh, that are territorial defenses, people that are defending their towns. We have supplied some military equipment and, and um, 
first aid to uh, the military. Uh, certainly, it's like a drop in a bucket uh, in comparison to what other bigger organizations have done. But uh, in my mind, every little bit helps, and we continue to help them. Our family in the West, although uh, the media really focuses on the East, the Donbass region, uh, where there's that full-scale war, our family in the West is not without its trauma uh, because Russia does send over missiles continuously. The sirens are blasting continuously. They don't hit any uh, target, knock on wood, so far. The last event, which was, I think it was June or July, um, not, it's not the last event, this is continuous, that happens with these missiles that are just shot over the view spontaneously. My family's uh, home, the, the windows burst out because it, the, the blast was so close. Uh, luckily, they are okay. They are still there. I'm encouraging them to go into Poland and to come here. Uh, but, um, you know, some people are stubborn and they want to stay. So we do support them as well. Uh, also, in the meantime, um, thanks to this country, we have taken in asylum seekers and we have several families in the Glens Bay area that we are providing help and support to as well. And I'm hoping that they will be out there uh, tomorrow um, at our vigil. So this is what's happened in the year. We shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be providing all of this help and resources to these people. There should be no war. This war is unprovoked, unwanted, unneeded, it's unnecessary, and it needs to stop. That is our goal. But in the meantime, we do have to support the victims of this unnecessary war. And that vigil is happening tomorrow, Friday at 530 at 6.30 in Lumberland. Can you talk more about the vigil? This is a 365-day vigil commemorating the unnecessary 365 days of this war. Uh, we need to gather to bring attention. We have to maintain attention to Ukraine. We have to keep advocating for Ukraine and supporting Ukraine. We cannot stop because, it's, again, if Ukraine loses, the rest of European countries will be uh, there for the taking by Russia. Russia will not stop. So we need to provide this assistance to Ukraine. We need to bring this awareness. Therefore, we are having this uh, vigil to keep that support going. And that will be tomorrow at 5.30 in Lumberland under the pavilion. You have connections and contacts here in the Ukrainian-American community. How has the conflict in Ukraine affected the community here in Sullivan County, in your opinion? Well, um, even speaking to them, they're concerned because the Ukrainian community here has family in various parts of Ukraine. Um, my family, fortunately, is in the West, which is affected, but not as severely as affected. There are other people that have family in the middle of Ukraine, which is more affected. And there are others that have family members that are affected because they live close to those nuclear power plants, the five that Putin had uh, gained access to. And no one knew at any time if he was going to pull the plug on them or bomb them. Um, so that was uh, extremely worrisome for some of these Ukrainian members here in, in our town um, because their family members were there. Uh, and there was no telling what was going to happen. We heard um, from them that there was no electricity. Uh, it was cold because this started way back when, uh, in March and April, when the weather was still cold. 
So there's no gas, there's no heat, there's no light, there's constant missiles. Uh, this is a very scary time for those people that are living there. And it's even just as scary for the family members here that don't know what's going on over there. Actually, one of the family members lost uh, a, a relative, I believe, and they that, that were there. They lost a relative and they couldn't even bury them the right way. They had to do it under military guard because Russia was there. Uh, the Russian military. So this is not, this is a war. This is not something that is just being uh, broadcast on TV. Because for some people that have never been involved in this think that it's just, you know, being videoed for their, for their display. But this is the real thing. And people are affected every day. People die every day. I, I just pray that it ends sooner rather than later. But a lot of people are not convinced it's going to end soon, but I do hope it ends on a good note with Ukraine winning. Ukraine will win. It will persevere and it will win. And what about that ending? What action do you think should be taken to bring an end to the conflict in the Ukraine? We need to provide um, not only America, not only the U.S., but European nations as well. Germany, Poland has stepped up. Other European nations need to provide the necessary equipment and tools that Ukraine needs to fight off the Rus Russian aggressor, especially the long-range missiles, especially the tanks, the weapons that help support them in their fight for democracy and freedom. We need to maintain that support. We need to keep giving them the equipment that they need. Uh, I understand that, you know, people are hesitant. Some countries are hesitant in giving them um, the air equipment that they need for their airspace. I understand that. I'm not a military strategist. However, uh, the, other, the other military equipment uh, is necessary for them to fight off the aggressor. That's what they need now. And we need to keep providing them. If China helps Russia with their um, equipment, then it's going to be a battle that's not going to end very quickly. This is a genocidal war against Ukraine that really created the largest humanitarian crisis in Europe since World War II. We need to, we need to keep the pressure on and keep supporting Ukraine with all the necessary equipment.